Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is another bonus uh, episode of the podcast. 2017 Draft Strategy is the focus. Uh, Our guest today, my guest today, is Joe Holka. Uh, You'll recognize that name from my Twitter feed because I've been linking to his work, Rushing Expectation, uh, his study there at 444.com, exclusively at 444.com. Be sure to check that out. He also has worked Fantasy Labs roster coach. Uh, he's a, I would say, he's an avid DFS player. Is that fair to say, Joe? Joe? Yeah, definitely. Have uh, started to kind of expand into some other sports too, but definitely uh, excited for for football kind of right around the corner here. Well, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Uh, I think the your work with Rushing Expectation has been a great addition to the website over the past couple of years. I love uh, studies like this that are. Uh, you know, fairly objective. There's some subject subjectivity to it, and we'll get into what Joe sees uh, in the in the running back ranks this year. But can you uh, first give uh, our listeners a, an overview of your process, uh, just maybe two or three minutes about how how you do it and uh, how it impacts your rankings uh, when you're drafting? Yeah, sure thing. First off, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the introduction. I mean, this has been more of a group effort for sure this year it's been great to kind of bounce ideas off you throughout the offseason talk to Chris TJ pretty much everyone it's been it's been great just kind of I mean after the data is kind of set it's you got to kind of sit back and see kind of how I feel about the situations as a whole so I mean rushing expectation if the the listeners don't know it's uh, my attempt to kind of balance the metrics and film evaluation at the running back position but specifically we're looking more at offensive line play so we're looking at uh, efficiency and how that offensive line would affect it either negatively or positively. So we're basically trying to dig out players that are actually good players and the players that may have been more successful because they were playing behind uh, in a pretty good offensive line. So I think that rushing expectation has done a pretty good job of that. Um, if you guys are familiar with Matt Harmon's reception perception for wide receivers, this is pretty close to that um i'd say there's a lot of differences for sure just because it doesn't doesn't really translate position to position but what i do is i basically go in and i chart um rushing plays their efficiency their success rate and then i chart it for different directions and then also in the passing game uh different lanes and the targets that they're getting and then i bring it all back to kind of how that relates to their offensive line and then I'm also charting things like how many defenders are in the box uh yards before and after contact and then kind of just bringing everything together in kind of a percentile form at the end. Now, now that I've got 60 players in my sample, it's it's a lot easier to kind of decipher what these kind of what these numbers actually mean. It's the sample size is getting bigger, and I think from there we'll be able to kind of have a better analysis as well. So there's uh, there's some hits last year for sure. I think this year there's there's some guys that stand out, um, but there's going to be some misses too. So excited to talk to you about it today. Uh, I uh, love this type of work. Uh, I also appreciate Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception. He's also a fan of uh, of your work, Joe. By the way, he's been tweeting about you a little bit here and there, um, just because it allows us to uh, sort of separate these these tiers of players that maybe we're not as sure about. You know, the, the question: Are they good? You know, we don't have to worry about David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell or Lashawn McCoy. Their track record is is strong enough that uh, we don't really have to, uh, you know, worry if, if, if they're a solid uh, pick in the first round. We, they, they've got multiple years of history um, uh, with that. So, 
it, it gets to the middle round people usually, or maybe even second, third round young players that we're not sure uh, just how good these, these players are. And uh, maybe we can start to sort some of these tiers and, and get a better idea who we should be picking uh, in each round. So let me ask you this. We're just going to go actually go through uh, from the top of the draft, not the top top, but the beginning of the draft uh, for second round to uh, some of the later round guys that uh, Joe has charted and, and uh, has liked. So let me ask you, Joe, um, if you're in the second round and Melvin Gordon, uh, JHI and uh, Jordan Howard are all on the board, who are you going to take? Yeah, see, I've kind of wrestled with this one a little bit. Um, after going through my entire process, I feel like JHI in that range is the one that, that really stands out. I think that he's got the most upside of this group for sure. It's, it's, it's really tough because with Jordan Howard, he probably has a better offensive line in front of him, but I'm not very confident in his ability to, to catch passes out of the backfield, and I'm not so sure he's going to see the same volume as he did last year because he was so inefficient. And I mean, at Melvin Gordon, he was not so good, obviously, in his rookie year, and then last year he scored a bunch of touchdowns, and I think that could regress a little bit. I do really like Melvin Gordon. I think that um, I was maybe less bearish on him than the majority of people last season because I did see some things as far as the success rate that were a little bit better than most people kind of thought. They were kind of burying them behind some other low-efficiency guys like Latavius Murray and those types. But I think uh, I think we got Melvin Gordon's fine, but J.J.'s upside just in general, I mean, he had one of the best scores I've ever had after contact. He was in the 98th percentile, and last year he was in the 86th percentile in rushing as far as his expectation score. And then he – or sorry, his uh, – his yeah, his expectation score. So he's he's performed really well. Um, I think that just his upside in general makes him the play for me. But I think all these guys definitely have a lot of risk as well because their their offenses aren't too uh, kind of they aren't one of the better offenses. And like those are the ones that I've been struggling with the most. Yeah, I would say Gordon's offense is pretty is pretty solid. I think that probably just more weapons there, right? Like that's kind of the, where the issue lies with that one. Probably. Yeah. You have a, you have a better quarterback here. The offensive line should be healthy. You've got some receivers there. So, um, you know, we are I'm still calling them San Diego, but the Los Angeles chargers, uh, I feel more confident in Gordon than over Howard and, uh, as well. Um, and I, I am a fan of Ajayi and his passing role, uh, wasn't huge last year, but he he caught a lot of passes in college, so he's capable. And then when you charted him, he was sort of in the middle uh, as a as a pass catcher. Is that right? Yeah, he like you said, he showed the ability to catch passes in college, and he was kind of right in that fifty first percentile in the passing game this past year. But I I think there's definitely room for growth there, and I think that might be the biggest difference um, between these guys is I think that JHI, if he does see some more room or more uh, kind of more volume in the passing game, which they have talked about a little bit, I think his, his upside with the ball in his hands is a lot higher than the other two. And his outlook's a lot better when Mar- Marcus Pouncey's in the lineup and he uh, looks right. like he is getting healthy. So that's a great sign uh, for Jai. So uh, as we go to the, the next question here, I want to know um, DeMarco Murray or Todd Gurley in the late second round? Yeah, I haven't written up uh, DeMarco Murray yet. He's one that's coming up. But, I mean, just looking at kind of what I saw in film and what he did with, with my metrics, he's one of the guys that really stands out. Um, both him and Henry faced a lot of loaded boxes situ- situations last year and performed extremely well. I mean, 
DeMarco Murray had one of the best um, success rates against seven or less in the box that I've ever had in the 92nd percentile. And what I really liked about that was his uh, yards before contact. I mean, tennis, Tennessee's offensive line's pretty good, so that can skew that at times. But I think DeMarco Murray's got a lot left in the tank. And I think this question in particular, uh, I'm just not very high on Todd Gurley at his ADP. Just a lot of the things that I put a lot of value in, like I'm talking about as far as yards before contact and some of these other kind of defensive percentiles like he was in the bottom 20th percentile in pretty much every category um so his efficiency was a little better uh the year before so he probably lies somewhere in the middle of there and I guess now that Fisher's gone that that offense could take a step and but I'm just not I I really need to see it with Gurley before I spend like a second round pick on a guy like that especially when I've already seen great things from DeMarco Murray I think I just feel more comfortable there with the upside and the floor Okay, so let's say we get into the fourth, fifth, sixth round, and uh, you know there, I've got your data, some of your data in front of me, and I, I think there's some players that uh, you probably like uh, in this range. Um, let's start with Spencer Ware. What, what did you see when you charted him? Yeah, Spencer Ware's uh, my guy. Apparently, after last year, was pretty high on him after looking at um, his rushing expectation last year, and then we still weren't sure what was going to happen with Jamal Charles, but. The biggest difference last year was Spencer Ware was just far and away the better runner uh, than Sharkandrick West, and he wasn't really used in the passing game at all, but he was used a bit in college there. So this year, when he was used in the passing game, he was incredibly efficient, especially in the beginning of the year. His passing game percentile relative kind of to his offensive line was in the 99th percentile, so it was probably one of the best ones I've ever had uh, out of my 60 players. So I think his upside um, before contact, after contact in the passing game is is largely understated. I think that Tyreek Hill's emergence last year had a really big impact as far as those kind of low dot targets down the stretch. So if Hill has kind of like a more, I guess, normal wide receiver role this year, I think a lot of those targets could go back to where um, everyone wants to talk about Kareem Hunt um, as far as stealing touches. But um, I mean, I don't do a ton with rookies. I've seen a little bit of Hunt. I think he's a fine player. But uh, Spencer Ware, what he's done relative to kind of the other guys in my study so far, now 60 players deep, like he's got two two years of consistently just destroying pretty much every category. I mean, he was in the 94th percentile this year in his efficiency on the ground. And the big thing to me is he's faced at a loaded, loaded box on a really high percentage of his his uh, attempts. So I think that's just huge. Um, his yards before contact is consistently in the top 20th percentile. And he's just done really well against eight or more in the box as far as his success rate. So I, I really like that. I, I mean, you just watched Spencer Ware. He was clearly a guy that faded down the stretch, but I think that had a lot to do with the concussion issues he was having. And then when you lose volume as well, um, it's definitely going to hurt your upside. And I think his upside before, I mean, he was one of the most efficient uh, players in the red zone two years ago. And now everyone thinks he can't score touchdowns. I think TJ already wrote about this this offseason. He's a prime touchdown regression candidate. And I think if he sees more of the passing game role he had in the beginning of last year, I just think that his upside is so much higher than he's being drafted at this point. So Spencer Ware is a guy that I'm trying to get on pretty much every team right now. People are probably 
Um, sick of me saying that by now, but if he's going to go in the sixth round, I just don't really see a lot of guys, at least in ones that I've looked at so far over the past two years, that have that kind of upside. His ADP right now is uh, after July 15th in uh, MFL 10s. His ADP is pick 61, and uh, that I believe that's mainly due to the uh, Kareem Hunt uh, hype um, surrounding him and the, the fact that Ware kind of fell off at the end of last year. But as you mentioned, he had a concussion. They also lost an offensive lineman to injury last year, which affected uh, the running game. Um, so I'm getting a lot of wear as well, and uh, I'm starting to think about him in the fourth round, uh, as early as the fourth round, uh, but I've been getting a lot of him in the fifth round. Uh, he's usually there. So uh, let's talk about Ty Montgomery. Um, it looks like he fared pretty well in your in your um, analysis. Uh, he's coming into the season as the RB1. He's bulked up uh, some, but... Uh, you know he's he's working with the I don't know with the foot, footwork king I saw more about that uh, who had previously worked with Melvin Gordon prior to last year and uh, uh, talk a little bit about my Ty Montgomery and, and what you saw when you charted him. Yeah, I think my biggest problem with this whole range right now is I just really like like four or five guys and I can't get all of them. So um, Ty Montgomery is one of my favorites this year for sure. I mean. I really am kind of a sucker for a guy that's really good in the passing game, and Ty Montgomery was in the 83rd percentile. Obviously, he's a converted wide receiver, um, and but he was really good between the tackles as well in the 70th percentile uh, on the ground. And then uh, what I really liked about him, which a lot of people have talked about, is his yards after contact. He's really an effort-type runner, and I think in this offense, um, the kind of ability that he has in space, like Rodgers is going to be able to find him in those situations and that's probably why he was so efficient because Rodgers is willing to give him those opportunities in the open field and kind of the knock on him as far as my metrics go is he didn't face eight or more in the box very often but when your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers you don't really have to worry a whole lot about that so I don't know if that's really a big issue I just think that in general kind of their the draft picks that they have I I think they're good players I really like Aaron Jones and I think that they could be fine depth for Green Bay, but I think that they were drafted for depth more than anything. And even if for some reason one of those guys does take over some of the touches as far as the rushing attempts, I think that Ty Montgomery's role is pretty safe in the passing game. And if, even if they were to move him into the slot, like he's shown the ability to be very effective in that role as well. So, I mean, for a guy that I, I think his floor is very high just because of the offense that he plays in, but also because he's so versatile and um, I think he's one of my favorites in this range just for that pass-catching upside, and I think he's going to have the opportunity to score a lot of touchdowns as well. Yeah, my concern with him uh, you know, this offseason is just will he be able to handle uh, a workload, a significant workload, and if you look at his game logs last year, he didn't really carry the ball more than 10 times very often, and he was getting dinged up with injury, but the fact that he's uh, taking this very seriously, his, his running back role, uh, quote unquote, all in on the running back position, according to that uh, footwork uh, trainer guy, um, that that's a good sign that he's really taking this seriously. And when you, when you look at him on the field, he looks like a running back. He doesn't really look like a, a receiver. And that was last year when he was probably, you know, five or 10 t- pounds lighter. So um, he's going with the 42nd, 43rd pick in MFL 10s. I think in um, 
uh, friends and family leagues. He'll probably be going in the fifth round, so a little bit cheaper there. But, uh, you know, after, I would say, Leonard Fournette to DeMarco Murray, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, drafting Fournette on, a, on spec, like I'm just assuming that he's going to be good and, and get a lot of work. Uh, there aren't too many running backs ahead of Montgomery in that 12 to 17, 12 to 16 range that I, I definitely want ahead of Montgomery. So uh, you could pretty much go into the fourth round draft Montgomery and then in the fifth round turn around and get Spencer Ware. Um, but you also like Mike Gillisley. So uh, he's going um, he's going with the 59th pick. So right with Spencer Ware, you're probably going to have to decide between the two. Uh, what's your take on Gillisley? Yeah, this is a tough year for me in general just because I look at some of my favorite players and they're all within a round of each other. So, I mean, Gillisley, his rushing expectation looks eerily similar to what Spencer Wares did in 2015. So, I mean, I realized that he was in a pretty good situation in Buffalo, maybe one of the best situations in Buffalo just because of kind of the what he was seeing as far as the opportunity behind McCoy and how good that offensive line is. But, I mean, he's a guy that just absolutely like shredded as far as efficiency like he's breaking efficiency metrics at this point like he's in the 98th percentile in on the in the run game uh he wasn't using the passing game very much so i think that that could be an issue but in new england there's just going to be so many opportunities to score from what we saw with laguerre blunt last year that i think gillisley has pretty big touchdown upside and in general i think he People are concerned about these other guys in the backfield, and that's another. It is an issue because the other guys in the backfield, there's a lot of really good players. New England's a strange one because a lot of these. And New England has like basically four backs that are some of the most efe- efficient backs in the league. So they're just really so far ahead. Then I mean they've got four backs that are better than a lot of people's number one and number two at this point, which is pretty incredible. Uh, the depth, but I think Gillis is going to see a lot of volume at the goal line, but he's also going to see a ton of volume when they're ahead and they're going to be ahead a lot. So I think his situation is pretty, pretty unique in that fact that I think his volume is going to be safe, but I do think he's got a lot more to offer than kind of what LeGarrette Blunt did last year. I don't know if he's going to hit the same touchdowns, but I I, I think that it's a realistic possibility. Yeah. The Patriots uh, in the top four and plays inside the, the 10 yard line over the last four or five years as uh, Chris Raybon noted in his excellent uh, article about this backfield. Uh, he His theory is that uh, they were always going to assign uh, a big back bigger than Rex Burkhead uh, to fill that role. And uh, if it wasn't going to be LeGarrette Blount, they, they put in the, the RFA, the tender on Gillisley. And once they got him, then they let uh, Blunt walk. And uh, Gillisley is going to fill that role, according to Raybon. And the more I think about it, the more I'm inclined to agree. I think Rex Burkhead is a... Um, a very interesting final round pick because his cost is so cheap now. Uh, if there's any sort of injury to Gillisley or if he fumbles and gets uh, gets into the doghouse a little bit, you might end up with Burkhead uh, in that role because I think he's capable, uh, although he's not as uh, as big size-wise as Gillisley and um, certainly not blunt. Um, another player going in the same uh, range, his, uh, this, guy, uh, this guy's going pick 58. Gillisley's going pick 60, Ware's going 61, 62. Uh, Amir Abdullah, I know you like him as well. Uh, he struggled with uh, injuries at the Liz Frank tear last year after really tearing it up in the first game. It looks like they they really wanted to use him, 17 touches in that game. He was off to a, a great start to the season. Um, 
much like uh, Danny Woodhead and Eric Decker, two of my favorite picks from last year <laughs> that went south very quickly. Um, so uh, Amir Abdullah, I think the concerns are ball, ball security, um, number of touches he'll get with Theo Riddick and Zach Zenner uh, there. Uh, what, what is it about Abdullah that you like? Yeah, I'm a sucker for Abdullah, um, for sure. I think that there's definitely some causes for concern. Uh, there's no denying that. Everyone wants to talk about how he's kind of in that in-between role as far as he's not the the pass catcher that Riddick's going to be, and he's going to lose some goal line stuff to Zach Zenner. But I think in general his ceiling is still pretty high just because, I mean, everyone wants to talk about zero running back and trying to find guys with upside later in the draft but it doesn't mean you can't find those guys throughout the draft as well you want to be able to find guys that can basically have an impact in a lot of different ways but I mean it's not it's not really close as far as who's the best all-around back in this backfield I mean Theo Riddick is a very strong pass catcher I mean he's going to have a role regardless but I'm not sure his role really impacts Abdullah's as much as most people think, I think there's room for them both to get receptions. We saw that last year in the two games that Abdullah did play, and I think Abdullah obviously is a lot better between the tackles. I mean, Riddick's pretty much an abomination between the tackles, and Abdullah is someone that has just performed so well in my metrics that I have to kind of stand behind them for now until I see a little bit more. We were kind of robbed from that last year, but I mean, we talk about yards before contact. Scott Barrett made me kind of think about that a little bit differently recently. Um, I think what really matters, because um, obviously if you have a good offensive line, you're going to have a higher yards before contact score. But if your offensive line's not very good and you still have a, a high rush kind of before yards before contact score, I think that matters a lot more. So Detroit's offensive line isn't very good, and Abdullah is still in the 99th percentile in yards before contact with 60 players deep. So that's something that I'm not really willing to ignore. I think his athletic ability is elite, and I think that if one of those guys goes down, like if Zenner goes down and automatically Abdullah should have more touchdown upside, they are losing a lot of touchdowns in general in the red zone with Bolden leaving. I know a lot of people want to jump on Ebron, but I wouldn't roll out uh, Abdullah kind of doing a little bit more than people think. And I think he's the upside that he has is worth it um, where he's going kind of in the sixth, fifth round range. And the, and the downside here is that you can't get to two of these guys, or you, maybe you yeah. can if you're picking at the end of the uh fifth round you might be able to grab two of them um but you you know if you have montgomery also it's it's just one of these situations where you could you could you could grab montgomery in the fourth uh one of these guys in the fifth and then maybe one of them lasts to you in the sixth but the buzz that they're all getting now because i think of your work and you know other people paying attention to these players um he has these ADPs rising out of the sixth round, and that's the problem. But one player you can get in the sixth round, usually, is Bilal Powell. Um, you studied the the Jets' backfield. Uh, your headline for the article was pretty funny about uh, drafting. <laughs> you should draft uh, Bilal Powell because uh, Matt Forte is trash. I think that was kind of clickbaity, but that's okay. What did you uh, what did you, what did you see when you uh, charted Powell? Yeah, I'm not going to be uh kind of i'm not going to take credit for that that was all chris raybron as far as uh the title goes but it's gotten a lot of buzz i think so maybe that was what his goal was i don't necessarily think that matt forte is trash but he was one of the worst uh worst backs i've ever charted as far as his efficiency like he's right up there with like the 2000 
15, uh, Jeremy Langford, Latavius Murray, as far as his efficiency on the ground, I think he is going to have a role. Um, but the thing is that the, this is kind of a situation that I saw last year in Kansas City with Spencer Ware and Charkandrick West. Like Ware was just so much better that at some point, Talon is going to take over. And hopefully, if he sees the volume, that I think he can be extremely productive. And that's, that's similar with Paolo. I, I happen to think that Paolo is, is a really good player. He maybe has been a little bit unlucky in some of the situations he's fallen into in the NFL. But you see this guy with the ball in his hands, and he's pretty dynamic. He was he was given a ton of volume towards the end of last year, and he's really good in the passing game as well. And I think that really helps him, in particular on the Jets, because they're going to play from behind so often. So, I mean, he's an 80th percentile guy in the passing game, and he's one of those guys that I think that has a lot more upside than people realize. And if it turns out that Matt Forte is really done, so there's there, there's two things. We've talked about this before. I mean, if the Jets are trying to win games, they should probably give Powell the ball. But if they're legitimately trying to tank, then Forte could see a lot of volume. So like, you kind of just got to decide what um, what you think about the Jets. It's really tough to kind of uh, look at these guys um, based on their team, but sometimes you do have to do that. I do like the, the upside with Powell. I, th- I think in general with a lot of these guys, I'm a lot less risk averse than the average person. So I like what I see as far as efficiency from Powell, and I think his upside in the passing game is something I really like as well. Yeah, I'm going to throw a curveball at you uh, because I know you don't like this player very much, uh, Paul Perkins. A lot of okay. people are pointing to him as a possible breakout player. Uh, volume should be there, but what's what's the problem with Perkins? I just think he's bad. Like, Is, is that okay to say? Like, I just don't think he's very good. Um, I, I get what a lot of people are saying like this offense has always been pass first though they have so many passing options i i don't think perkins is good in the passing game i don't think he's good in pass protection why do people keep talking about devonta freeman i i don't see it like maybe i i don't know maybe i still have a ways to go as far as talent evaluation but paul perkins was a guy that i was not impressed with i think if i'm gonna take a chance on one guy in the giants backfield it's gonna be shane vereen 10 rounds later just because he has that that passing down upside and I I mean Paul Perkins was in the bottom two percentile in his passing game role and that's not something I'm really willing to bet on and he basically never saw a loaded box last year neither him or Shane Vereen so uh, I think that that's something that probably will continue so based on volume alone maybe but um, yeah I'm not really too impressed. So when the offseason started, I, I noticed when I was doing my early drafting that uh, there seemed to be a drop-off at the running back position in terms of like guaranteed workload after the first 10 or 11 running backs. And I was trying to come out of the first two rounds with, with one of them. But as the offseason has uh, you know advanced and has gone on, and I've been reading more and more of your work and um, sort of buying into some of these guys, uh, the Gillisley uh, trade or the signing also impacted me that, that, that tier a little bit deeper. Um, would it be fair to say that you're comfortable uh, starting your draft with three receivers or two receivers and maybe Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, and um, and then turning to the running back position maybe fourth or fifth round and drafting uh, two or three of these guys to, to sort of lead your backfield? Yeah, that's a lot of what I've been doing, really. I think it's a really good strategy this year to kind of make sure if you if you miss out on one of those top guys like your David Johnsons or Le'Veon Bell, I, I think it's a really good year to go zero running back to some sense but 
at the same time, yeah, like you're saying, you could start out and get three elite guys and then probably take three straight running backs in this range when there is a little bit more kind of uncertainty when it comes to wide receivers kind of in that range as well. So I have no problem kind of getting some of those elite wide receivers early and then really just hammering this kind of area of your draft and then grabbing two or three of them and then you can wait a little bit um, from there. And I think that that would put you in a really good spot in pretty much all formats. That's basically what my strategy has been this year. I was writing a uh, breakout article uh, earlier today and I was struck by some of the value in the middle rounds at, at the receiver position as well. So it's, it's a tough year. You can grab um, Michael Crabtree in the fourth round, Willie Sneed in the fifth, uh, Pierre Garcon. I love in the sixth. Everybody that's following me knows that I love Garcon in PPR formats in the sixth round. Um, so you could go a couple running backs early and uh, then turn to the receiver position or you go vice versa and go receiver early and go back to the running back position. So it's kind of a tough year to decide uh, what sort of strategy you want to employ. But at the same time, you could uh, sort of go off of what your your competitors do in the draft and sort of uh, take the value where it where it is. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Kenneth Dixon injury. Uh, it opens up um, some some stability in terms of carries for Terrence West. He finished... Uh, in the 20s, 23, 25 range, uh, PPR standard formats last year. Um, it looks like he will be the, I mean, he's he's been named the starter, quote unquote, but you have Danny Woodhead there as well. Um, they may yet bring in another running back to, to pick up the slack. Um, I've heard Carlos Hyde's name floated as a trade target. That was just Twitter um, trying to connect the dots. Uh, Rashad Jennings is out there too, but I don't think he's much of an impact player at this point what do you think of west uh what would you see when you when you charted him yeah it's kind of a bummer i charted dixon as well was hoping to kind of do a backfield type examination for this one but uh we're gonna save that one for next year i think so it was just uh terrence west and just kind of evaluating his rushing expectation and then kind of the situation around him i thought west was fine i think he's definitely the guy that stands to gain the most from dixon's injury as far as the kind of the early down volume but i think that he's probably better in the passing game than a lot of people will give him credit for but his role is definitely not going to increase with woodhead on the field as far as kind of those passing targets and probably going to decrease um i mean the, the ravens didn't draft anyone i think that's a positive um buck allen's still around and woodhead's obviously got some injury risk I mean, he's coming back from an acl i think he's he's only like eight months or so kind of behind that so i think that 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 could definitely be a factor if Woodhead uh, can't stay healthy, but if he is healthy, he's definitely going to lose targets to them. Um, Ravens, like you said, could add a running back in free agency. It's something that kind of remains to be seen. Uh, West might not actually be any good either. We talk about the guys like that I just really don't like. He was he was kind of one of them, at least on tape, that I think that probably is just a guy. But if he sees some volume, I mean, where he's going in the draft, there, there could definitely be value there um, for sure. Um, but I... I don't know how much upside there is kind of on a team that's uh, got a poor offensive line that definitely didn't really improve a whole lot. Um, I mean, it's basically just has the early down roll probably, but in a committee and it's a team that's not going to really score very much either. So I think this whole situation is probably just a, a fade for me at this point, And I'm feeling pretty thankful that I don't have a ton of Terrence West, West shares uh, as it stands right now. I, I took him in the eighth round, uh, 8.05. I put a poll up on Twitter asking if it was too early, too late, or good value. Um, the, the winner of that poll was good, uh, sounds about right. Um, and then some people said, or a few more people said that it was too early versus 
being a great screaming value. So uh, I think his ADP is going to land in that eighth, ninth round now with Dixon, Dixon out. Um, he still is the, the starter, quote unquote. He still will probably get most of the goal line work, although uh, Danny Woodhead is pretty adept down there. We just don't know how, how much that he'll impact West. It shouldn't be a lot, but uh, it could be a little bit underrated because Woodhead is pretty good inside the five yard line. Um, moving on, uh, I want before I we talk about a couple of late round players that I like and that you also like uh, significantly. One of them, anyway. Um, I want to talk about the four for four NFL ticket giveaway. If you go to my uh, Twitter page. It's the pinned tweet at the top. Uh, it's 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 wrapping up at the end of the month, July 31st. So now's the time if you want to get in uh, on it. Four for four is giving away five pairs of tickets to an NFL game. Um, I believe it's up to a $500 value, so it's a pretty good prize. There's also some T-shirts being given away as well. Um, you can get entries even if you've already signed up by uh, referring uh, the site to your friends and retweeting. Uh, the site and all that so uh, check it out it's it's wrapping up in four days uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll hand out the tickets so uh, it's a great chance to win a, tickets to a game all right a couple late rounders um, I want to talk about the the Oakland backfield a little bit uh, Marshawn Lynch is going pretty early uh, the third fourth round turn um, if this were Marshawn Lynch of five years ago or three years ago even um, I could really buy into that but I'm a little worried about his uh, fitness, uh, ability to stay healthy as a as an older back now, and uh, it's such such a good offensive line that uh, it seems like the value is maybe a little bit later in the draft with one of his backups. Which one? Which one of his backups do you like? Yeah, I do really like DeAndre Washington. If I had to choose one, but there's been a couple of drafts where I've taken both, just because I do think both are pretty good players. Um, DeAndre Washington, I think I think he's got the talent if Lynch were to get injured, and I think that's a strong possibility for a player at his age and coming off an entire season gone. Um, I do think that uh, Washington would be the guy to take over kind of that opportunity and, he, and not look back. I think that Jalen Richard probably has more standalone value today just because of uh, his passing game role, but DeAndre Washington was arguably a better pass catcher last year as far as his efficiency so I mean I I fully expect Washington's rushing efficiency to improve a little bit it was pretty average relative to kind of how good that offensive line is but he did create a lot and he ran against a lot of loaded boxes uh, as well and Jalen Richard did not so I do really like Washington um, kind of as that big play weapon behind like this really strong offensive line that's going to be in scoring position quite a bit and if they there's obviously been talk about um, about Marshawn not getting as much volume as maybe people are expecting. And I think a lot of that could go to DeAndre Washington and getting him late in your drafts. I think he's got as much kind of injury and situational upside as really anyone you can get in that range. And he's kind of just uh, basically been an auto pick for me uh, late in drafts and in MFL 10s this year, uh, if I do need one more running back at that point. Yeah, he's going with pick 174, so he's basically free. And I, I think he might be going 20 spots higher if not for the presence of Richard. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, is, is Richard really getting drafted a whole lot either? I mean, it, you could be right. Maybe people are thinking that that caps his kind of his, his upside in the passing I, game. Yeah, I mean, I think that they don't know who's going to be the guy if, if mm-hmm. uh, Lynch goes down. And we may very well see a, a committee but the the running game is so good that even if Washington's seeing 
you know, 10 to 15 touches, uh, he could be a, a fantasy starter in that sort of workload given his efficiency and the, and the quality of that offensive line. So um, it, uh, I have full agreement with you that, that he's a great late-round pick um, as a sort of a attrition play in a backfield with a vulnerable – this is like the perfect situation – vulnerable starter, you know, older – and then a great uh, offensive line. It's like the perfect situation to draft the the, the backup. Um, so let's talk about, uh, before I let you go, let's talk about the Tampa Bay uh, running situation. I know it's a little difficult with Doug Martin. Um, you know, every other year seems to be good. This would be a, a good year for him because uh, he was bad last year and great the year before. Uh, he's been getting lots of buzz in the offseason. Um and he's going to be out the first three games. So Jaquiz Rogers uh, started late last year, showed that he uh, could handle the load. Uh, Tampa Bay was willing to give him uh, the, the workload as well. There was uh, one game where we sort of thought that he might uh, take a backseat to, to Charles Sims, but it turned out that they, they definitely view Rogers as the primary ball carrier when Doug Martin is out and Sims is still sort of staying in that third down role. Um, Rogers is, is going extremely late as well. Pick 161. Uh, I've been taking him a lot, just getting, feeling like I'm getting a starter for three games and maybe longer. Uh, how do you view Martin? How do you view Rogers at this point uh, in the off season? Yeah, I think in season long leagues, uh, Rogers is definitely a good value. I think, I mean, you definitely worry about long term, but I mean, fantasy is still a week by week basis type uh type game and if you're going to get four weeks of considerable volume they've shown that they're they would give him that considerable volume and uh he's not a guy that's going to catch passes um but i think that he's going to be efficient enough to have decent amount of upside in this offense and i did probably like him the most this year the the tough thing for me i I do kind of want to ask you a little bit about charles sims too because I have gone back and forth with him on a bit. Me and TJ were talking about him actually last uh, last night. And if he was a guy that um, ended up getting traded for some crazy reason, I think that he's a guy that could still thrive. Like last year, he just performed so well. And this year, I mean, he, he came in, um, didn't really take over the role the way I expected him to. He had a couple tough matchups in there. And then just looking at his rushing expectation, like, he faced eight in the box uh, more than almost anyone um, this entire season uh, in my sample. So I, mean, I thought that was interesting kind of for his skill set, um, but he did not perform very well. So what do you think about Charles Sims? I, I think that Rodgers, we kind of know what he is at this point. Um, if he, he's going to have some value, I think, in drafts. But I think Charles Sims has a little bit more upside uh, as far as the target really late. What do you, what do you feel about him? Well, as you you were, you were saying that you you talked about Charles Sims doing very well last year, but you were talking about your uh, your grading for him in 2015, correct? Like correct, his, yeah. his grades are really good. Okay, so 2016 he didn't fare very well in your grading, right? So I'm not sure um, if it falls somewhere in the middle or if maybe last year was the outlier. I'm not really that sure about him. Yeah, I was sort of excited about Sims uh, heading into last season, partially due to your, to your grading of him because he did so well. Uh, but then when the, the thing you can't deny about this situation is that they just view Rogers as the, as the lead running back when Martin is out. Um, there's just no getting around that Sims was out with an injury, came back and then they were both healthy at the end of the year while Martin was, was out and um, Rogers was getting all, most of the work. Uh, Sims is the passing down back or t- seems to be. And he definitely, if he goes somewhere else, it's it's definitely worth a look because of how well he charted, uh, for you in 2015, but I think in this, I mean, I think in PPR formats uh, for the season, 
you you could argue that Sims will end up playing more if if Martin comes back and is his full uh, full Doug Martin. Uh, then they they get Martin and Sims going again, and Rogers just goes to the bench. Um, but I think if you're if you're drafting and you're you know you got a starter here for three weeks with Rogers, and there's a decent chance that he just comes out and runs really well, and Martin doesn't. Uh, do so well when he comes back, and then all of a sudden you have a, a starter in the thirteenth, fourteenth round in, in Rogers, and there, there's that that scenario could play out as well. It's a really tough, uh, it's a really tough st- uh, backfield to sort of to yeah. pin down right now. I think I agree with you. I think Rogers is definitely the play in redraft, um, but I, I think I am trying to grab some shares of Charles Sims in dynasty just for that that off chance he at some point finds uh, another team to take a chance on him. I I don't really have any Doug Martin right now. Maybe that's a mistake but i seem to always pick the wrong year with that guy so maybe i have a little bit of recency bias with martin but he's someone that didn't perform very well uh in my methodology as well so kind of steering clear there yeah martin's tough because you you your charting of him uh is poor or he, he performed poorly in that um but he does have a top five finish in his history and uh, that wasn't too long ago and just the offseason buzz was just crazy great about him i don't know if that was maybe the the franchise trying to prime the pump for a, a trade or something, but uh, it, it sure sounded like they were like he was back and looking as uh, as good as he did two years ago. But it's hard to forget last year, um, uh, given you know what we thought we were going to get out of him and what he actually delivered. Uh, so uh, when I've been drafting Martin, I'm, I'm drafting Rogers more than Martin, but I think it, both of them. If you are looking for an RB two. Um, and you've really gone wide receiver heavy in the first few rounds. Uh, maybe you have one running back, and then you're, you get into seventh round. You miss out on Powell and those other guys that we talked about. Uh, I don't think drafting Martin there and then backing him up with Rodgers is a, is a really bad plan. I mean, you might have a couple weeks where you're not sure what the how the backfield's going to play out uh, week four, week five, when Martin comes back. Um, and, and Rodgers is either doing well or doing so-so, and you're not sure about the touches, how they'll be distributed. Uh, or distribu- distributed. Um, but you should have a, a pretty good productive uh, running back most weeks uh, drafting those two and maybe you know grabbing a Gore or um, Terrence West or something later on as your third, or even better, uh, Theo Riddick in PPR formats as your, as your third running back. So um, is there anything you'd like to plug uh, before we go? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, check out Rushing Expectation at 4 for 4. I probably put way too much time into it uh, this summer relative to kind of uh, other things I got going on. I really, uh, really enjoy doing this process, though. I thoroughly think that um, kind of going through it, looking at the backfields this year was something that I think was a really good improvement. Um, the biggest issue I saw with it last year was like, I was down on a guy like uh, like Duke Johnson relative to kind of a lot of analysts, and then I still didn't really know what I thought of Isaiah Crowell. So I think this year we've kind of remedied that a bit, and we've we've uh, attacked some of the backfields uh, as opposed to uh, kind of doing some of the the David Johnsons of the world. And I think that was a really good choice. Um, so yeah, check out Rushing Expectation. Uh, I'll be doing some some uh, DFS stuff as well. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It was a lot of fun. And thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Your work's been great, a great addition to the site. And if if you are on Twitter and you're not following Joe, you're doing it wrong. He's got 5,300 followers. I want to see that up over 6,000 here within the next couple of weeks. So I think if uh, 5 five or 10% of our listenership goes and follows you on Twitter, we should we should be able to do that. Um, this is Thank you for being the third in a series of uh, 2017 Draft Strategy 
uh, bonus episodes, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.